Hi everyone, it's Witchy Bites, and we are up to episode 17. So you may have noticed that there wasn't a November release. We were planning Hannah and I to do it together, but it didn't work out that way, unfortunately. Uh, She was still caught up with her studies, and we delayed it, thinking we would catch the time, but it didn't happen. So we are very sorry that there was a whole episode that we've missed, but we're back. Well, I'm back again for December, unfortunately. Hannah is still caught up with her her studies and but he's hoping she's here for the new year. Uh, today I am talking with a Tasmanian pagan who's been very prolific in the Australian community. Her name is Jess and she has been pagan since she's 13 and has been involved in multiple group committees throughout Australia. Uh, So the Tasmanian Pagan Alliance scene she's been head of and also the Australian Wiccan Conference, which she will be talking about here today. Jess is a very interesting person and we just ran out of time to talk about everything. I will definitely be wanting to bring her back for another day. With that said, what's going on with us? Well... Not a lot has changed. We're still doing really well in Tasmania with, or in Australia as a whole with the pandemic, which is great. Life's feeling relatively normal. We have uh, four cases in the whole state now, which are in hotel quarantine. So, you know, that's nothing to stress about. And we are just getting ready for for the summer solstice. Maybe I'll do a bonus episode about that. That might be good too. With that said, I think that might be all. And let's get into the interview with Jess. Today I have talking with us Jess, who is a pagan in the Tasmanian community. We will ask her her identification tags <laughs> as as uh, she starts talking. And Jess, I have met through the Tasmanian Pagan Alliance. Hi, Jess. Hi, Liz. Would you like to tell me some things about yourself? How long have you been practicing and how do you identify? And who are you? (laughs) Who am I? I'm just Jess. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I guess I don't think of myself as anyone special, um, but I um, have been around for a little while now, which is funny because, you know, when you start in paganism at a young age, everyone around you is older and then it almost seems like all of a sudden you realise that you're getting on and that there are so many people your age who have been around a while and who are publishing books and everyone's a spring chicken in comparison. And it's like, wow, yeah, all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess my story starts um, when I was a little kid, like a lot of um, pagans. I grew up in the country and I had parents who were very not religious and they were avid gardeners. And they also had traveled a lot before they'd had kids. So my parents had a really good understanding of Eastern philosophies and a good uh, love of 
things from, you know, India and Nepal and, and places like that. Um, and they liked a lot of those sort of philosophies over um, what the Abrahamic religions had to offer. Um, but we didn't grow up in a religious household. So I've got an older sister and uh, there's 10 years between us. Um, but we are really, really close. And so we had living up, living in the country, just the two of us, uh, most of the time we had lots of adventures in nature. So that combined with uh, parents who love nature and gardening um, meant that I grew up with a really solid foundation of being outdoors and caring for the environment. Um, I was a bit of a strange kid. Um, probably because I spent <laughs> I a lot of, <laughs> I know it's like, it's a theme, isn't it? it <laughs> I'd like to meet a pagan who was like, no, I was, you know, I was a really popular kid. I have never come across one yet. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but yeah, so, so similar story to a lot of pagans. I liked different things. I liked the supernatural as a kid. I loved ghost stories. I think I had every single Goosebumps book back in the day. Um, and I love fantasy and uh, things like that. And from a young age, I began looking for something and I uh, went to youth group and Christian camps. But then when I came across uh, their philosophy that only humans had souls, that I couldn't even comprehend how uh, animals and things couldn't be included um, in that. I just could see that the beings around me that I shared my space with had a soul and had feelings and, um, you know, sometimes had more spirit about them than a lot of people. Um, and my older sister at the time could see that I was searching and so she used to buy me magazines and books on all sorts of things and one day um, she gave me a copy of Witchcraft magazine. So, Oh, my God. Do you remember <laughs> it? <laughs> I, ha- I still have my collection. <laughs> oh, excellent. I wish I still had mine, although I think I do have some still in a box. So um, Witchcraft magazine was an Australian publication um, in the, what, late 90s, early 2000s? around that time yeah it was still running 2000s yeah (laughs) and it was awesome you know full glossy print in you could pick it up from a standard uh, news agents and the articles were good and and they were written by you people who'd been in the community for a long time and and it was great and um I remember reading um about an event that was happening in Tasmania called the Australian Weekend Conference. And at this stage I was in my early teens and I thought, no, there's no way that my mum would let me go because obviously being under 18 you need um, permission from a guardian. And I happened to mention it to my sister and she said, well, if you want to go, I'll go with you. And I thought, wow, "Wow, really? I was so excited and we ran it by mum and, and, you know, our mum was always pretty casual, you know, um, with that sort of stuff, she was more than happy if, as long as my sister was looking after me. So we rang up, but all the places had been filled because by the time I'd mentioned it, it was only like a month before the event. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> suitably gutted. And then, um, so we went all on a waiting list and only a few weeks before the event, we got a call and to say that there was a, 
there were two spots open. So we just made it in. And in the meantime, they said, well, there's actually some people in your area who um, are just starting up a Pagans in the pub. Um, you might like to meet them. And um, by this stage, we'd come across a few books in the library about Wicker and, you know, all those like the Scott Cunningham books and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And we'd started doing a few things just on our own, but we were really feeling that it was, you know, a good time to meet other people. So it all just happened to fall into place at a really good time. Um, and so I went along um, to, and that was 2001. So the 2001 Australian Wiccan Conference was my very first ritual experience. Um, wow. and I think I was 13 when I went. <gasps> oh my God, mm. I'm so old. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. We did some incredible workshops and, um, we got sucked in by incense making and herbs and, um, drumming and the ritual was incredible and it was just an unreal experience. I was mind blown and just so excited to meet so many other people. Although I found that not many people really wanted to talk to me because I was so young. Um, they probably just uh, thought I was like the kid of somebody who was attending, but um, just got but, dragged along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, I also it was think that fantastic. That- I was just going to say, I also think that was when um, a lot of teenagers were starting to pick up on the craft. Um, Fiona Horn had released her book and um, there was this, there was a little bit of judgment in the community towards teen witches being like um, on a craze, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I could imagine that would probably pay, play, would have played a part in that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, there were lots of people coming into it from the movie, The Craft, um, was having a big impact. And yeah, Fiona Horn's book was a big one too. Um, and she was really uh, out there with her advertising and her presence and her boldness was really big at the time. Um, and yeah, so, but from then it was really good because we hooked up with the, um, other members of the Pagan Alliance and, mm-hmm. um, that had a healthy membership at the time. And, um, and it was only within a year or so that my sister and I started hosting our own events. Um, wow, so we just amazing. went, we just went straight into it because we just wanted to recreate that amazing experience of the, mm-hmm. of the, of the AWC. And, um, yeah, and we did our best to attend, um, the Wiccan conference, um, after that. So, um, for those that don't know, um, the Australian Wiccan conference has been a pagan gathering, which has been occurring since the eighties. Um, and it's usually, um, hosted around the spring equinox and it's usually in a different state every year. So, um, it's usually a weekend of workshops and ritual and feasting and dancing and, and lots of good things like that. And, uh, even though it's called the Australian Wiccan Conference, it's, um, it's been a open to anybody of pagan persuasion, um, from its very beginning. So, yeah. So that's, um, and then from there, um, I participated in 
you know, lots of community things, lots of pagans in the pub. Um, I've lived in the northwest of Tasmania. I've lived in Launceston and now in the Hobart area. And um, there's been times when I've just been a member. Um, and then um, a few years back, I got a phone call um, from the uh, someone who'd been the state coordinator for a long time to say that they needed somebody to um, be the state coordinator for the Pagan Alliance. The person who had been doing it um, for a while hadn't um, been able to continue and there was nobody uh, else able to do it. So um, so I was asked to, to do that. Um, so I was the state coordinator for the Pagan Alliance for eight years and um I only oh my God, re- that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a lot of work. Like hats off to you. Like organizing something that large is and the state coordinator as well, like not even just like the Hobart coordinator or Yeah. Well done to you. Well, I guess um I figured, you know, I'm a big believer in science from the universe and um when I got that phone call I thought, well, I, I love the Pagan Alliance and everything that they do. I didn't want it to fall over. And I already had yeah. experience with incorporated associations and not-for-profits um, through other groups that I've been part of. So I felt confident in setting it up and, and everything from there. But it's been a huge learning experience and I've loved working with the community. And I have to say that's probably one of my biggest pagan passions is bringing people together. Um, I think it's so important to have somewhere um, where seekers can go and get good information and get in touch with other people um, and where, you know, when people do want to participate and, you know, I'm not talking about joining covens and having massive time dedication, but simply anybody out there who wants to um, meet up with community and be in touch with like-minded people, it's so important to have that available and accessible and easy to track down and it you know it doesn't have to be you know the Pagan Alliance it can be any any group there's lots out there around Australia who are doing similar things and I think that um, it's really good because you know these sorts of things are run by volunteers um, usually people that are already super flat out and busy um, yep <laughs> but um, but it's so you know it's such a good thing to have um, and it's worth worth the effort and it's taught me heaps. We've ran lots of public rituals and you know pagans in the pub and workshops and um, and things like that. And I'm sure I've made lots of mistakes. I know I've made lots of mistakes. Um, but so important. Um, it's so important to make mistakes. It really <laughs> is. So that's good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and you learn a lot and you meet amazing people as well. And one of the things I'm such a uh, fan of the community that we've got here in Tasmania, because unlike a lot of places in the world where it's really easy to just to be among people who identify the same as you. So, you know, if you're a heathen and you in the heathen community, or if you're into traditional witchcraft, you're in the traditional witchcraft community, but, and Wiccans and, and all the rest. But I find here in Tasmania, because um, there's so f- few of us um, that if you do want to connect with like-minded people, then chances are they're going to be walking a slightly different path than you. And that's the best thing about us, I think, um, because here in Tassie, we do have lots of flavours of Hagen um, and um, that makes our community really strong and really interesting. And it also means that when people come along, um, they can find out and talk to people about all different 
options of walking the pagan path. Yeah, yeah, it is. You're right. It is. It's one of the strengths of this community, and um, um, and I even like on the like the Tasmanian witches Facebook page, people are really generally quite respectful of other people and their their interest. You don't get that you know, or that kind of scoffy thing that can sometimes happen in really large communities. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. We do have a really, a really, like, Tasmanians tend to keep to themselves. That is one thing that we are really um, good at. (laughs) Um, And so has that been a challenge when you've been running groups, like to get people engaged into that kind of thing? Yeah, it has, especially um, when it comes to trying to encourage people from the south to venture elsewhere. So <laughs> that divide, <laughs> north-south divide. <laughs> oh, it, it is that a bit. And I think also when you grow, like I grew up on the northwest coast and you get used to not having everything at your fingertips. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to go to a department store, you've got to drive at least an hour. Um, you know, if you want to see a big something or other, you know, lots of the big things that happen in the state don't necessarily happen in your back backyard. So um, yeah. even though the concept of travel is really interesting because, you know, if it's half an hour away from home, that's a really long way. And if it's three hours, then you, <laughs> you probably need to stay the night. Um, yeah. Whereas people who live in the Hobart area are used to being in the central yeah. part of it. You know, they're, they're, they're in the yeah. hub where everything happens. Why do, you know, I've met people in Hobart who have never even been to Launceston and it's only two hours up the road. Oh, my um, God, really? Yeah, absolutely. Oh and so wow. people from people from Hobart and Hobart areas, you know, they don't um, always – they don't particularly like to travel. So, um, so that has been something that has been a little bit tricky but – what I do find is that in those areas where not as much stuff is happening, so for example, on the northwest coast, um, mm. the community there is really strong because they've only got one another. You know, they don't have 20, you know, pagan events a week or pagan-esque type events that they can attend. So when something does happen, then it's really well supported. So, um, yeah. so it means that if you can keep the outer areas, the regional areas, if you can keep their communities, um, their community there, um, tight, then it will survive the ups and downs of, of time because um, they can float their own boat without having to worry about people coming from other areas. So, yeah, so that's always been interesting. And um, uh, But most of the time things have always been a success. Um, you know, yeah. because people are so keen to support the efforts of others and, and as you – as I, you know – became better at um, coordinating and and being able to communicate well and working out what works and what doesn't, then um, you soon learn lots of little tricks on how to make good things happen um, and to make things a success. And if something doesn't go wrong one time, not giving up and thinking, well, sometimes everybody's just a bit out of sorts and or can't come or the energy's not great this year but then you host the same event at the same time a following year and it's a boomer so yeah and it's completely different Mm. yeah yeah um that's that's really interesting because I I guess because I have tried to create events but I'm not a very um I'm very introverted and 
I am not very eloquent in my speech, unlike you. I noticed that you have very, yeah, no, you you have skill. Um, <laughs> um, and so, like, yeah, I do find, though, that I have put, I've tried to put together a few things like uh, study groups and that kind of thing, and um, people just don't turn up. And I and it's like they'll say they'll come and then you're sitting there by yourself for like an hour and you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that's what made me ask. I was like, how do you find people coming out to things? So that's really interesting. Yeah, I find you know um, having good information out as soon as possible is really important. So there's no point saying, hey everybody, I'm going to have something for Litha this year and then not providing anything about what's going to happen you know you need to you need to tempt people in you need to say well we're going to be doing um you know this craft activity and we're going to be focusing on this ritual work and we're going to have a guest speaker who's awesome at this and you know you just you need to have um you know you have to sell it um because people's calendars get booked in really quickly and you know as I've begun to find out like the minute that you have kids or a weekend job <laughs> yeah. or any other, you know, even just, you know, animals to feed, um, things to organise, you know, you need notice for all that sort of stuff and, and there's, the yeah. more notice you can get, um, the yeah. the easier it is for people to come along. You know, any event that I've um, had something to do with, um, the ones that have been a success have been the ones that have been the, the most well-planned and with the most yeah. notice. Um and, you know, something that's different as well. You know, you're not just doing the same thing every year, um, trying to appeal to um, what people are interested in at the time and, and that sort of stuff um, makes a big difference too. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, being really clear on what's going to happen and when and what people need to bring, um, that sort of thing, um, I find mm-hmm. is really helpful. Um, the, I think one of the interesting things about paganism and what we do is sometimes it can take people a while to get their head around that they have to be a participant. So one of the things that's always been a massive priority in um, rituals that I've done or rituals that my sister and I have planned or that we've planned as a group is, you know, it's not a performance. It's something where we want to get everybody together and um, I'm a big believer that a ritual is not a ritual unless it's a process of transformation. So um, even if it's just a little bit. And uh-huh. so you want people to come and have an experience and then leave a little bit different, a little bit more uh-huh. themselves or a little bit more something, you know, it's a transformation, yeah. something you can't yeah. come back from. Um, and, you know, I'm yeah. talking about this in the context of, of pub, what is effectively public group rituals. So I'm not talking about taking yeah. people on a massive shamanic journey of, you know, dealing with their life trauma or anything like that because you have oh to be, yeah. when, when you're talking about group ritual and public ritual, you know, you are skimming along the top of things, yeah. um, which is one of the reasons why yeah. most of the stuff that I've done, almost all of the stuff that I've done in the past has been centred around the wheel of the year because even though there's um, deeper meanings to a lot of these uh, festivals and sabbats and times of year that we celebrate, it can be really easy just to make it something nice and soft and gentle acknowledgement, celebration, um, and a little bit mm-hmm. of inwards, um, you know, 
work um, yeah. with, without taking people too deep because you've got people coming who you might have only just met or you don't know very yeah. well or, you know, like yourself, if someone's a bit introverted and you've got like 20 people there, chances are we're not going to get a great deal of time to get into the nitty gritty of why, you, why you're there. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, so um, so those sorts of things are really important. But for a lot of people, especially if they come from a non-pagan background, they do have that expectation that they can just sit back and it's all going to happen for them, um, that it's going to be a performance or they're just going to be given the thing or um, that there's no, nothing that they need to do. Whereas um, for me, my practice is all about the doing so, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's really important. And I guess when it comes down to what you're talking about with study groups and things like that, you know, mm. and I've seen it before in, I've seen it in like uh, women's circles and, and forming um, gatherings and things like that. If someone puts their hand up and says that they're going to host it, that people are often happy just to come along and experience what's there that someone's put together, but not actually put the effort in themselves or, you know, the minute that some someone says, well, I've organised every full moon for the past three years, let's do a rotation and everyone will have a go, all of a sudden it flops uh-huh. because of, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, that difference of, of just wanting to have someone else do all the work, you know, and the work, and I can't understand why the work is hard. It's not easy putting on events. You know, when you're putting on an event, you're not there experiencing and enjoying it. Um, you're looking at the time and you're planning the next thing and you're worried about the bonfire and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, true. it's so true. And 10 million other things. And, you know, after you've done it for years and years and years, you know, you have a set system and, and you have, you know, yeah. and they're like, right, you know, oh, we learned from that yeah. event. We're going to bring extra toilet paper next time or, oh, you know, yeah. we to make sure that there's actually gas in the hot water or, you know, they said there were going to be firewood. We're going to double check that next time because um, there wasn't <laughs> and it was Yule and it yeah. was a drama, you know. These are the sorts <laughs> of things. it was like, ah, we had to run around, yeah. Yeah, 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 making phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that no one needed. <laughs> yeah. So these are all the sort of things, you know, that, that come with it. So, um, you know, I can understand why lots of people don't, want to put their hand up but um, there's lots to be learned from organizing and hosting these sorts of things and um, being a um, someone who contributes to community by by being part of that I think that's super important Um, I think um, I think that there's uh, I've noticed the more the more I've tried to create stuff the more I'm realizing that there's real anxiety around you know, not being good enough and kind of like that imposter syndrome thing and um, being worried that they'll make a fool of themselves in front of people that they admire and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that does play a part in it as well. Um, yeah, I can does totally take understand that. Yeah, it does take a lot of confidence to stand up in front of a group of people and, and put yourself out there. Um there's also, I think one of the things that if people are listening haven't been to a group ritual, it's worth talking to the organisers before you go just to just to find out kind of what's expected and and how it's going to lay so you can take some of that anxiety out of it. Absolutely. Um, did you ever have people contact you about things like that? Yeah, for sure. You know, people um, – yeah. 
who love the idea but they're just not sure or maybe they've got um, things to worry about. Um, you know, I've had people come who um, haven't had very good eyesight or um, have had mm. mobility issues or um, things yeah. like that or my friend was going to come with me and now they can't come and I'm only, <laughs> I'm only new, I don't know what to do, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And I think – but the other thing about it is I think it's super important Anybody who's hosting ritual, especially, not just events, but ritual mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Uh, people that they don't know very well, it's really, really important to be super clear about what's going to happen. And I think yep. that can be um, can be a bit tricky sometimes because when people work closely together with small groups – you can have that element of mystery and everybody's comfortable with it because they are comfortable with the people who are there. Whereas I don't think that there is any benefit to having a great shroud of mystery over public ritual. You're much better. And I don't think that by being upfront about what's going to happen takes away from the experience. Well, it, it hasn't in, in, the experiences that I've that I've had so I think it's really important to say okay this is what we're going to do you know we're going to wait till the sun's going down and then we're all going to gather together and we're going to ring a big bell so everybody knows when you have to be ready then Mm -hmm. we're going to stand together and we're going to go over the chants that we've talked about make sure everybody knows the words and have you got your chalice and have you got your little piece of paper with your sigil on it from the sigil workshop from earlier in the day and what we're going to do is we're going to uh, walk into the ritual space we want everyone to go in and settle then we're going to do call the quarters and create the sacred space. Um, Then we're going to talk about why we're there and, you know, there's going to be instructions on what to do with your little bit of paper and your chalice and there's going to be an energy raising and we're going to do that by doing this and uh, then at the end of it, um, you know, we're going to ask everybody to put their hands on the ground so let us know if you're not comfortable doing that Um, and then after that, um, this person's going to come around and uh, give you a gift and then we're going to share cakes and ale, um, which is made out of this and that, and um, and then we're going to um, open the space and then return to this spot. And then, by the way, if at any time you're not comfortable, please see this person and they will uh, open up the space yeah. so that you can leave. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, you should already know you know, if somebody needs a chair and you should already have that in the ritual space if there's someone that's not able to touch the ground. You should already know that yeah. your cakes and ale are going to suit everybody because you've got, you know, if you've decided to use alcohol, you've got a non-alcoholic version. You've made sure that, you know, you haven't put anything in it that somebody is allergic to or, or that they don't eat. You know, you want to make sure that everybody feels super welcome. And, you know, I think by, by running through those basic steps um, makes somebody feel really, really comfortable. And um, yeah. when we hosted our own Australian Weekend Conference in 2011, um, that's one yeah. of the things that we did. We actually um, split everybody up into three groups, so super experienced, intermediate and complete beginners. And we had um, completely different information for each of those groups depending on um, – on, you know, on where they were and um, making it, you know, obviously all those sort of basic steps for complete beginners and then 
you know, when it came to the um, experienced people asking them to assist us in holding the energy of the space and being, you know, available at the quarters to cut people out if necessary and that's and that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, and it meant that it was a super successful space. And, in fact, one of the best feedback that I ever had was um, somebody said to me, oh, when we were walking up to the procession, I was walking with such and such and they said, I was so nervous about this, but after sitting down and having that talk, I just am ju- I'm just excited now. And I thought, oh, well, so that's, that's when. You want. That's yes. when you know it's right. <laughs> because I hear stories all the time. You know, I hear stories from people that are like, I don't want to do ceremony. I'm not interested in ritual um, because every time it's happened, I've been really super uncomfortable. And I think, you know, yeah. even if you do go to an event, you know, if, if you're a person sitting out there listening to this and you've never been to a group event, and you're not really sure if it's your gig, just know at any time, you know, you don't have to participate. I've had people say, I'm going to come for the whole weekend, but I'm not going to do the ritual because it's not my gig. It's not, doesn't fall within, you know, the way that I do my practice. And that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, any decent coordinator in our community should be a more than happy to accept that, you know, um, because, um, you know, not everybody's necessarily keen for it or maybe they get a funny vibe or maybe they just feel a bit yuck, you know, about it or too nervous or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that it's that's really important part of um, doing these sorts of things is to v- provide people with an out. And sometimes I know myself is that when someone's assured me that if I'm not comfortable, I can leave then all of a sudden my anxiety is alleviated and I do participate and have a really good time, you know. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the other thing is, you know, the other importance about ritual is not taking it too seriously. You know, there's always opportunity for, you know, jovialness within the ritual space um, when it comes to – absolutely. When it comes to these sorts of, you know, group gatherings, which, as I said before, you know, for us has always been centred around – those Sabbath celebrations. Yeah. They're they're the most accessible way to celebrate as a group, that's for sure. Um, I I have – so I will say that most of my group work has been very much um, just small groups. Um, I have attended some Pagan Alliance events um, in the past, um, but I – had a intriguing experience at one and I didn't go back. Um, <laughs> that was about maybe 15 years ago. So it was a while ago. So, yeah, okay. um, yeah. So I probably should go and check one out again, but it has been a while. Yeah. Um, COVID's put yeah, a big stop to a lot of these things too. So it might be a while till they the come mo- back. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That is very true. Um, I was going to say the Australian um, Wiccan conference being online this year was really amazing because I actually went. I hadn't been to one before. Oh, and good. so like, so watching the events was really cool. Did you do any of that online stuff? Or? Well, it was really interesting. So, um, so after eight years of being the state coordinator um, with the Pagan Alliance, I um, was pregnant. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be raising a baby, I can't look after this baby anymore. So I um, let everybody know that I wasn't going to be able to do that anymore. Um, And then, um, but in the meantime, um, I, and it's a bit of a long drawn out story, probably uh, not one to go into here, but um, I became part of the committee 
for the Australian Wiccan Conference. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was uh, – so the Australian Wiccan Conference um, hasn't always been an official entity. Uh, it's just been um, part of the community. And I think over the years, and I'm not super well-versed with the history, but um, I think over the years there has been, you know, custodian groups and things like that. But um, in 2016, it was decided that it would be a good time to incorporate um, a body to uh, look after the event and um, be the custodian of the history and the traditions and to maintain standards and things like that. Um, it was really important yeah. to the to the Wiccan community um, that that happened. Um, probably worth noting that I'm not actually Wiccan. Um, so I was but, thinking we haven't discussed that actually. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I mean, even though I'm not Wiccan, I have always been a big supporter of the Australian Wiccan Conference. As I said, it was you know my first event. Um, it, you know, my sister and I and um, a lovely lady called Terry um, hosted it in 2011 in here in Tassie, which was the second. Only the only ever one other than the first one I attended that happened here. And, um, and, you know, I've gone to as many as I possibly can and, and I, and I love the event. It's, it's a, like a coming home, um, when you go to these things and, you know, it's the only chance to catch up with some people, you know, around the country. And, you know, after the years go by, these people become family. Um, so I was, uh, invited to be part of the committee as a, uh, junior vice president. Um, but then as, um, time went on and, and people who, uh, were part of the committee weren't able to be part of it anymore, um, somebody quit. And then, then it was like, well, I was the next person in line to look after it. So I'd gone from being junior VP to senior VP to, well, now it's your job to be um, the president of that. Yes. So, um, so yeah, so uh, I've been doing that um, for the last couple of years. Um, But unfortunately with the virtual event, um, I wasn't able to attend because um, oh. Mum life, basically. <laughs> no, yeah. oh, it was really good. Jess. Oh, I know. Really I I went back and watched. Um, <laughs> so this was our first. So this is the very first virtual AWC. So it was supposed to be. Um, and in in 2019, we announced that the 2020 event was going to be um, in the Snowy Mountains. Um, but then, of course, COVID happened and that event um, had to be postponed. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Gabby from New South Wales, who's just amazing, um, put her hand up and said, um, hey, I have had heaps of success with workshops and things on Zoom. Would you like me to host a virtual AWC, um, which was so exciting. So um, she did all the work for that um, and it was a huge success and, and the um, all the workshops and things that were presented um, were all ones that had been presented at previous AWCs, so um, which made it super special because some of those workshops, you know, the dust was pretty thick on them. They they you know <laughs> to like a decade or old on, on some of them, but um, but we had you know really great participation and um, both live and um, on through Facebook because they were posted on Facebook and they're still there actually. So anybody is welcome to join the eight of this the Australian Wiccan Conference Facebook group and they can see um, all the recordings of the workshops and things um, from that. And, of course, a, a, um, 
a um, concert from Spiral Dance as well. So, ah, so I didn't catch it all. So I should go back and, and listen to some of the things I missed. Yeah, yeah, but it's really yeah. different, you know. Like, you know, I guess online events is really interesting because by having it online and co- only costing ten dollars meant that it was super accessible for people. Um, but the interesting thing that I found was that normally an AWC is, you know, a week away, um, you know, catching a flight somewhere, going away with my sister, being able to fully immerse in the event, and then a few days later come home. Whereas when you're at home, you still got all your obligations of home. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it was, yeah, it meant that um, it was a bit tricky to for me to dedicate the time or to be able to have that space to be able to participate. Um, but hooray for recordings. And, yeah, the, I did yeah. Um, watch them all back through and it was fantastic. So um, Gabby did an amazing job. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah, seriously, hats off to her. She uh, And it was interesting and it was engaging. And I remember um, uh, there was a talk about tarot by um, – oh, I know her name, I know her name. Was that Julia? Yeah, Julia Phillips. It was Julia. Julia yeah. Phillips. Yeah. <laughs> Phillip. Okay. Fantastic. And because I was doing a, because I've been doing a Kabbalah course, like I just, I'm so into it. And I just, yeah, I thought it was amazing. And she said that she'd presented it at like 2000, was it the Tassie one in 2001? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. She said yeah. it was a really long time ago. And I was like, wow. Anyway, um, it was really good. Julia's um, amazing. True, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought she was really amazing. Um, and that was, and I think that's one of the, the things is that there are these online opportunities if you are unable to go, if you aren't able bodied or you don't have the confidence or that kind of thing. These things do exist and they, they, they are just as worthwhile as going in person. Yeah, they're sure. great. And I've always been a bit dubious about things online. You know, people have been doing online ritual and things like that for a really long time. Um, but mm. I've never, participated in that sort of thing but COVID really brought around you know lots of things online and it being the only option and um and I think that yeah I think it definitely has um its place uh, especially with you know accessibility even money you know to go to an event like the AWC it's a massive financial commitment not just for the event but getting there and and everything involved Mm -hmm. time off work for people and things like that so Mm -hmm. um I think that things Mm -hmm. online are good and I think that some people have found, um, especially some of the older people in our community have found it really tricky to get their head around Mm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it really reminds me of, um, you know, the way that people like, we were treat like you know us as little young people coming <laughs> through. It's, um, <laughs> I'm desperately trying not to use the term baby witch because I really detest it. But um, yeah, I go with you know as beginners, as as novices mm. in in you know all things pagan. Um, you know, coming in to paganism, you know, through ways of you know books or movies or things like that um, made people very sceptical. And then I'm seeing a, a similar thing these days with, um, you know, TikTok witches and Instagram witches and things like that. I love um, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's so much criticism, um, but, you know, everyone's got to find their way through to these paths somehow um, and that's just the way it is and we will see more and more things online as you know the technology improves and people's being com- more comfortable with it and um, you know just the same as my thoughts on bringing 
you know, having paganism accessible, like having pagan community so it's accessible to people, um, it's just another way of doing that. Um, although I do have to say I'm still yet to do a ritual online. Um, I'm still, uh, uh, you know, maybe I'm showing my age that's, the, that's coming in with the, with the grey hairs perhaps. Um, but as a communication tool and sharing information and participating in workshops and, and study groups, like the study group that I've been doing with you, um, yes. you know, things yeah. like that. It, it's, um, it's, it's really good um, to have these things and it's definitely um, a way of bringing people together. So, um, yeah, it pays not to be too judgy, I think. That's absolutely true. And it, and it definitely gives you the opportunity to talk with other people that you wouldn't normally get to talk with in different countries and, and you know, all around the world, like um, in my Kabbalah courses, uh, a lovely person from France and I've really enjoyed listening to her practice and, and the way that she describes things, which is completely different to the way I do things. So um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's um, good. I was going to say, um, to go back into your history a little bit, there was an event that you did at Mona um, and I think you were running it from memory because I was That's there. right, yeah. Um, and so this event was like a religious uh, expo where lots of different people from different religions got to put on events and you did something for the pagan aspect of it. Yeah, and I you did. did. very public rituals with people who were not even remotely pagan. Um, how was that? What was that like facilitating that? Oh, it was so exciting. So um, we received yeah. the invitation and, of course, we wanted to participate. And so um, we were given this big – so we occupied this massive room um, on like the – I think it was like the base or the first floor. No, it was like one of the lower levels of, of Mona. Um, and every religion that had been invited to come along had a little stand. So it was a bit like a – uh, you know, like a mind, body and spirit expo or an indoor craft market. Everyone had like a little gazebo type space and um, everybody was there, um, almost everybody. Um, the Scientologists were there. All the churches um, were there, lots of different um, flavours. And um, in some ways I think perhaps we were um, like the token um, pagans or, you know, the, the shock, the shock <laughs> value. Um, and it was really interesting because a lot of people probably didn't realize that everybody getting in there and spruiking their religion was actually part of a greater art installation. I remember um, that coming out. You know, a lot of people practice. thought that it was serious <laughs> and, and people were like, yeah. oh, I hope that it happens again next year. And it's just like, no, the, we're all actually here so that the artists can go, <laughs> you're all full of crap. <laughs> but, yeah. it, but it didn't really matter because because even though that overriding, um, you know, thing it was lost on most people. So it didn't really matter. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and so we decked out our little booth with all our pagan paraphernalia and ours definitely looked the best. Um, and <laughs> we, um, had a couple of people manning it, um, each, uh, each day. I think it was like three days all up. And there were a few things that, um, that I really got out of it. The first one was, um, when we were coming, uh, when we were talking to people f who were coming up to our booth, um, a lot of people already knew about 
paganism or they'd heard about Wicca or um, things like that. I think that the general public are definitely far better educated on these things than what they were 10 years ago. Like if we had have done something like that 10 years ago, we would have got all those typical questions. Do you worship the devil? Do you sacrifice goats and babies? You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, Whereas it was like, oh, are you guys the Wiccans or, you know, things like that. Ah, Um, There were a lot more uh, understanding. um, Oh, you know, you guys, you guys, the ones that do the maypole, you know, this sort of stuff. So, um, so that was really, uh, really good. And then, yeah, part of what we did, um, part of our invitation to be there was to, um, to do some rituals. Uh, and so we had a little time slot and we went out on the beautiful Mona lawns near the fantastic little chapel. Um, that they've got there that's got the most amazing stained glass windows in it of um, skeletons having sex, I think that particular one has. And, um, <laughs> I've never been in it. Oh. I don't think I have. Really? I think, it's, <laughs> I I think they're stained. Yeah, you have to go and have a look. Um, or I have yeah, a stained glass. <laughs> and it was really great. Like any everybody who came, there were a few people that just stood back and watched. Um, normally in the our pagan community, um, People taking photos and people watching is like a no-go. So, um, you know, if I was like in the times when I've hosted events or, um, you know, been part of running an event, it's been like, well, if you're going to come to the ritual, you come to the ritual and you participate. If you don't want to, that's fine. But you, but it's not a show, you know, it's not something that, you know, it's, it's considered rude. It's bad etiquette to watch and it's super not acceptable to take photos or recordings. But, but in that framework of, of what we were doing with, um, with Mona, um, that was okay. And, and yeah, it was really good. Lots of people enjoyed what we did. It was just a super simple, basic, um, sort of Wiccan framework type, um, uh, energy raising and yeah and uh the feedback that we got was fantastic and I even got on the news you were on the news yeah uh, the news. <laughs> yeah I got it I was interviewed wow. um I was interviewed by the ABC um yeah wow. so, oh, so actual reputable news as oh well. no, yeah so I like the actual telly yeah. <laughs> I was on the telly you know <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that was, that was really cool. And, and one of my last remarks, um, was that, you know, I think that Tasmania is more pagan than what it thinks. Um, and, you know, I think that the way that there's been lots of changes in public events, um, you know, largely because of Mona and their dark mofo and things like that, you know, we are so lucky to be living in this corner of the world, which has really embraced um, a lot of paganesque type celebrations and things like that. And I think that that's contributing to the greater public having more awareness, more knowledge and more acceptance to people of, of who um, practice paganism. Um, you know, like in your neck of the woods, the, the Hue and Midwinter Festival. I mean, I never thought, yeah, as a as a teenager yeah. or in my early twenties, I never thought that there would be an occasion where I'd be standing in a, the field of a reputable business, surrounded by all sorts of people from the community, uh, with cider in hand, chanting a wassailing. Um, and it wasn't a, yeah, run by <laughs> by our own pagan community. Um, you yeah, know, there are still you know, people in, um, you know, Western, um, 
countries yeah. who can't wear a pentagram to the supermarket and then here we are yeah um it's amazing yeah We're so so lucky yeah. and i think you know it makes sense really i mean tasmania is a beautiful place and and uh, we have a lot of amazing nature around us and you know a lot of people are close to the land um and uh, we do get those seasonal changes um those obvious seasonal changes that not necessarily the rest of the country shares so um you know to have these things uh, happening is fantastic yeah we're very lucky for sure um and and i think like the pagan community here has yeah like you said really changed like so i started exploring paganism about 1999 so it was a little while ago now because i'm old um <laughs> not that old <laughs> Um, and, um, and yeah, when I think about how, how hard, like, you know, you used to have to go into like alternative stores and like look at the little notices to try and find someone. And we had witch vox and, and, um, (laughs) yeah, and being able to find people that you could connect with on witch vox that suited you could be a little bit challenging. So, um, Yeah, I remember this is, I think I've said this story on the podcast before, but I remember um, the first other pagan that I ever met was um, in grade 11 and I, my friend knew I was pagan and she just happened to be sitting next to someone in class who was drawing pentagrams on her book and she said, I have a friend you need to meet and that's how I met my first other pagan. So, you know, like that kind of... um, yeah, so like we have moved a long, a long way from that kind of um, lifestyle, I think, which is all like that that sort of community building that it used to be like, which I think is great. I love that it's so much more accessible now, and to be able to find people and much easier. Like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it is really good. Um, I find that I'm probably a bit unusual in the sense that I don't participate a real lot with stuff that's on Facebook. Um, There's so many Mm -hmm. groups out there and um, there's, you know, um, a lot of even just local, you know, in not just in Tassie but in Australia, you know, there's so much out there and, you know, lots of people participate but I find that um, it doesn't always reflect what's happening in real community so I think it's good that information is super accessible um, and that you know technology now makes it easier to connect with others Um, but I think that we really have to watch how this space can dominate and Mm. you know the whole you know keyboard warrior thing or um, you know so often every (laughs) other week I'm hearing about oh this person's caused this drama or there's this going on or this person's gone crazy and look at this video and um, you know this sort of thing and and I think that um, that that can have uh, a negative effect on on in on personal practice so Mm -hmm. you know I think that um, we all have to regulate how much we participate or, you know, in our lives when we have space to do our pagan stuff that we're making sure that we're doing it in our own backyards <laughs> and not letting and not letting all this other stuff take over what time we have, you know. Like yeah. if, if you only have a couple of hours spare a day, you're much better off spending that out in nature or in your veggie patch or turning your compost or, um, you know, 
going on a beautiful walk on a local beach than you are flogging away on the keyboard because somebody said something you don't agree with on a Facebook group. Um, because really when we think about it, you know, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I'm not speaking for anybody else, of course, yeah. um, but, you know, paganism is not what uh, necessarily about what we believe, it's about what we do. So it's mm-hmm. important to make sure that you that we are doing the doing part. Um, I yeah. think that has always been a challenge for people. Like it, it's always been like maybe online makes it a little bit more easier to do that. But there's also I just remember there being a lot of criticism when I was younger about um, uh, book book pagans, like pagans who just read but never actually do anything. Yeah, um, yeah. And I always thought they were talking about me. <laughs> 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 it's like I just didn't have it to nothing else. Um but uh um yeah so so I think that that criticism of doing um has always been there it's just that it's changed the media I guess yeah. Yeah um, that's it. I was thinking- because people, you know, people are very quick to do a lot of talking um, yeah. and in a negative way. I think if it's positive, then it's good. Um, yeah. But I don't think, um, you know, like when there are other people bringing negativity into that space, you know, it's important for people to remember that you don't have to participate. You know, it's not That's like, right. you know, you are still a real pagan if you're not posting up things all the time. You know, you are still a real pagan if you don't have all the stuff that the Instagram witches have or, you know, don't feel like you have to have a YouTube channel or be up with all the latest things and, you know, you don't have to um, participate in subscription boxes to be a real pagan Um, (laughs) (laughs) because this is all the stuff. This is all the stuff that we're being bombarded with now and, you know, it's, it's, you know, and even as a pagan parent it's even worse because, you know, there's all this beautiful, amazing, you know, forest school stuff or, um, you know, Steiner-inspired stuff, um, which fits so well in into, um, you know, pagan practice. Um, but, um, you know, if you do heaps of time looking, then you're not doing heaps of time doing. And it's the doing yeah. that, that feeds your soul and, um, you know, honours your path, whatever that may be. So, um, yeah, so it's always important to, to remember that, I think. Yeah. For sure. No, I think that's true. And I just, I do want to just say that it, if you do love the aesthetics of witchcraft, that's absolutely fine. We're not judging that at all. Um, <laughs> no, walk, is, walk your own that walk. Is completely your choice. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I mean, we all love pretty things. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. Oh, my God. Um, but if it's stressing study. you out and it's bogging you down, or if, you mm. know, there are people being negative about the way that you do things, just remember you don't have to put it mm. out there. You can just do it, um, you know, and. Uh, that's perfectly okay. So you did just touch on something that I think's an important topic, and that is like the the eco side of witchcraft because it's become quite consumer based. Like it's so it really is so accessible now. There's you know everyone's selling tools and everyone's selling, um, and they're not necessarily uh, like really nicely homemade. They're like um, highly produced. Mass yeah. produced, that's the word I'm looking for. Absolutely. Um, which, again, if that's what you can afford, that's fine. We're not criticising that at all. But um, it does have an ecological impact on our world. And, yeah, I know that's something you're passionate about. Yeah, I really am because um, I see 
I see it a lot. I see, um, I see people um, feeling the pressure that they need to have all these certain things to be able to um, to do what they want to do. You know, I mean, a deck of tarot cards is really expensive for some people, um, or you know, to have like tools, like you said, and, and it is more accessible as well. Um, not only because we're seeing it a lot in our social media, especially, you know, things like Instagram and stuff where it's really visual. Um, but I remember, you know, back in the day of witchcraft magazine and things like that, if you wanted to have a certain thing, you know, you had to, um, ring up, uh, uh, one of the five shops that were around at the time and have them post you a catalog. <laughs> <laughs> have you post a catalog and then you got these little photocopied images of, you know, what you could get. Um, whereas now, oh yeah. Do you remember I, Uncle, I Fest, Uncle Festers and the oh, esoteric bookshop? They were like classics um, back in the day. I never got that catalogue. I just used to I just used to go into the local stores here like Angus and Robinson or like uh, it was yeah. Babylon in, in down here in Bacana in Launceston. Yeah, institutions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's institutions. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, but no, but even now, you know, there's more and more stuff out there and it and you know, if you do love shiny pretty things, which most of us do, it can be super tempting. But um it takes I think that if you and you know, I can only speak for myself, but you know, my paganism is a uh, is an earth based practice, and um, more and more, I am criticizing or um, you know, looking deeper into the things that I do and the stuff that I use and the reasons why and whether or not it's the best choice. Um, yep. you know, because it can be really easy to just do things the way that they've always been done or, um, the way that other people do them. Um, maybe people you look up to or people you've learned from, um, without actually really thinking about, um, you know, is it necessary? Are there better options? Have I thought this out properly? You know, um, a classic example is, you know, the, the standard old tea light candle. Um, you can go to a, a, a shop that sells things quite cheaply. You can buy a massive, um, pack of them, you know, um, they're fairly affordable. But when you think about it, you know, the miles involved with their, where they've come from, the working conditions of the people that have made them, um, the the ingredients that are in them, you know, paraffin, mm. for example, is just, you know, really, it's it's really bad. Um, and yeah. you know, and then what you do with it all afterwards, and you know, if if we think about honoring the earth is that really the best way um i think we can do better um and i think that um that you know it's worth having a look at these sorts of things that we do um and you know is it necessary um is it the best for our environment is there a way that we can do things differently which will actually benefit us through better connection um you know and, and there's lots of things there. Um, and I'm not to say that like everyone out there is doing it wrong because they're using tea like candles. Um, but I think that, you know, waste, especially in recent years here in Australia, um, 
there's been lots of highlight on, you know, where all our waste is going and the effects that it has. Um, it was a real eye-opener for me when I um, participated in a permaculture course, um, a permaculture design course, and to actually um, have people come in and speak about the truths of where our recycling goes or, um, you know. the yeah, that was horrifying. <laughs> oh, it is. It really is. Yeah. Or, you know, the effect, you know, that landfill has, you know, lots of people still have the opinion that when you put something in the bin and the council comes and collects it and it gets dumped into um, a big hole in the ground that it really just does break down and go away, but it doesn't, you know, it, that is not a composting environment. Um, it releases uh, harmful gases and, um, you know, you can't, you can't um, be in the dark about that if you really are following a path that honours nature. Um, so, yeah, so I think, and I mean, it is in contrast to the click the whole set mentality of consumerism. Um, -hmm. but, um, for me, I think that even if you can just have a look at some of the things that you use, um, and think about, is there a better way or rather than getting a new tool, like, you know, rather than going out and buying a new chalice, you know, can you use something you've already got? Can you, um, buy something that's uh, old? Um, uh, can you repurpose something? Can you participate in a workshop and learn how to make your own? Can you make your own out of clay that's from the land where you live? Um, You know, these are the sorts of things where, you know, if you can use tools that are, um, you know, created on the land that you live on and that you're practicing on, then they're going to be, um, you know, more in tune with, your surroundings, they're going to be closer to nature already without even having to do the magic part. That's very true. Um, I'm just going to say that for anyone in Australia, there's a if you haven't watched the ABC show War on Waste, um, I think it's six parts, um, do because it talks a lot about recycling and what really is ex- recycled and what just gets dumped in other countries um, as waste. So yeah, it's not even recycled. So um, yeah, we have big so, issues here because we're an island and we're just trying to, you know, fob off the problem. Even here in Tasmania, you know, to get to deal with our glass recycling is, um, you know, a big task. And because everything's expensive and no one wants to pay for it, then a lot of things, even if we put it in our recycling bin, um, they still end up in in landfills. So um, I think it's it's something to think about. Um, you know, especially if you're putting on group rituals or something where you're using things you know to have a think about um ways to make things more compostable or um when they're done or more um local you know is there Mm -hmm. somebody local that we can support you know can we use local beeswax um in candles instead of um you know, buying the cheap paraffins. Can we have one candle instead of 10 and just sit it in front of a mirror or, um, you know, other ways of, of doing things um, I think is um, is definitely worthwhile. And I'd like to see more of it. I mean, you know, um, I still see people, um, you know, with plastic headdresses on and things like that. And I think all those things can be pretty and long-lasting um, maybe we can ha- have a little bit more of a think about why we're doing the things that we do and if it's necessary to bring plastic into ritual space. I think it's a really, really great 
topic to talk about and I have I've thought about so um so one of the things I haven't talked about on the podcast is um the fact that I am vegan and I don't use any animal products in my practice and even just being able to find incense that hasn't had gelatin in it and things like that has been uh challenging like it really is make it yourself like that's mm. what it comes down to yeah. um garage gum of course is possible but of course that's from uh it's from africa isn't it it's from i'm not sure i'm pretty <laughs> i'd have to google it but i think it's from africa so you know again we're talking miles here now yeah and people shipping it so um there's so many things that come into play when you when you do start looking at the things that you have and the things that you do and where you can make changes and you don't have to be perfect it can be just small changes you know like like you're saying you don't you just even changing from um yeah plastic headdresses to actual leaves from your environment and things like that like don't go into a national park and pick flowers that would be bad. but like <laughs> no go and, go, go and pick weeds you know? go and pick weeds and, yeah exactly. and um and then it's like a two for one isn't it um yeah or grow your own you know I think yeah. when things are so fast-paced um and we're all seeking this connection um slowing down and thinking about things is a really good way of doing that um you know and uh, I mean I'm not perfect either uh and you know some no. of the, some of the things <laughs> some of the things that I've collected over the years, um, you know now I look at them and think, well, if if I was to turn around and and need those things now, I wouldn't have chosen this piece, or I wouldn't have got that crystal, yeah. or I wouldn't. But um, they're in my space now, so so um, yeah. I'm going to look after them so they don't end up in in landfill. Um, you know the yeah. resin cauldron tea light candle holder with a you know, something funky painted on it that come from you know, some <laughs> cheap shop with a chicken on the front of it, you know, <laughs> back in the day. Or yeah, I, wonder what, I wonder what shop that is. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that, um, that, yeah, it's not about striving for perfection. It's just um, doing what we can where we can um, because, you know, if we, if we are dedicated to honouring nature um, and we're serious about things like climate change, um, we want to reduce our waste so that we don't have those sorts of impacts then on our pagan practice is a really good place to start that because, you know, it's supposed to be what we're about. Um, and, you know, I think that we can learn from other um, walks of life like permaculture. Um, another place, an unusual place where I've found a lot of really interesting information has been um, the people who right into um, wild pigments. So that's going out into nature and um, finding things that you can make natural paints with. And a lot of people mm. that do this sort of thing are um, really um, about not harming the environment and ways of honouring the earth when you take things away from it and, um, you know, making things from scratch, slowing processes right down. Um, you know, so – if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, you can find inspiration from all sorts of communities that are not necessarily pagan. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are like, I, I assume these are in most places, but like there's um, a walk that helps you identify um, wild edible weeds, you know, how cool would that be to incorporate in your practice? And um, 
Yeah, there's so much information about wild foraging and, um, you know, and that is, once again, you know, slowing things down. Imagine if you were um, preparing for an upcoming ritual and it was to celebrate a particular season and the cakes that you provided for your cakes and ale were actually made out of things that you'd forage from nature. Um, you know, you can't get any better than that. It's heaps better than, you know, rocking up with a packet of Tim Tams. <laughs> as good as they are. As good as they are. I mean, I'm we'll, like, we'll, we'll eat them. With me. <laughs> we'll definitely eat them. <laughs> we'll, we'll eat them, but, you know, we'll feel guilty about that plastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Jess, seriously, this has been amazing. Um, I think – I think we've probably covered enough for like five five episodes. I think we've talked about so many different things. Um, and I would really love to have you back again because there's so much more we can talk about. Yeah, anytime, anytime. It's, um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't feel like I've done anything particularly amazing um, in my time of being a pagan and it, and it is, you know, an ongoing um, journey for me. You know, I've stepped away from community, like I said, and we've recently moved to our own patch of land. So now I'm becoming more and more focused on um, connection to place and um, mm-hmm. and working with land spirits and things like that. So, you know, my my path as a pagan has um, has changed a lot, um, um, you know, but there's always lots of good stuff to talk about. So, yeah. Of course, absolutely. Um, and um, if people so – you, you said you haven't – you don't really use social media that much, but do you have any places if people want to find you? Um, well, I am – the only – place that I'm really um that I participate in is Instagram um so I'm Jess Blackberry Hedge on Instagram so feel free to find me I've got a public profile on there um although it's not tailored at all so there's photos of family of my garden of my cat um but it is the the spot where I um I I you know, post stuff. And my theory is the one thing I like about Instagram is because it's just photos. My theory is, is that if it's not worth taking a photo of, it's probably not worth talking about. So, um, (laughs) I am on, I am on Facebook, but, um, but I'm not, I'm not a browser. So, um, you know, I don't see a real lot of things there. I'm, I'm the person that never says happy birthday on the birthday. (laughs) No one ever notices that you don't. Um, but yeah, but no, that's great. Thanks for having me. No, I'm so happy. Um, I think the biggest thing that that I know you said you don't feel like you're um that you you do anything exciting, but what you do is real practice, and you're a real person. And a lot of the times when we hear from people in our community, it's people who are, you know, have the book deals and they have the the online presence, like the big social media people and stuff, and it's. And that's only part of the story. So I really thank you for coming and sharing your story. And um, and I'm really grateful for that. So thank you. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Jess for all her time spent honouring our podcast today. We really appreciate what she has to offer. If anything, what I want you to take away from today is how much community matters we are a small community and each member really does matter and we are what makes up what paganism is today. So if you haven't thought about connecting with the pagan community, 
perhaps this might inspire you to do that. And we look forward to talking to you at the next episode. Bye. Bye.